gospel that we now give our attention to, friends. So turn with me to the gospel of John, chapter 19. We'll be looking at verses 28 through 37 as we continue in our study the last the last few verses of chapter 18 and 19 of John's gospel in our Lenten study of the beginning of the end of Christ's earthly ministry. You know, we read that passage just a moment ago from Isaiah chapter 6, and I have to say, that has always perplexed me, always confused me. Uh, go and tell them that they're going to be ever hearing, but they're never really going to be hearing. They're, they're always going to be seeing, but they're really not going to be seeing. Otherwise, they would turn to me, and, and I would be gracious to them. That's always caused me to scratch my head and wonder what it is that the prophet was actually saying there until I find myself in that particular passage. How many times do I listen to the Word of God? How many times do I stand up here on a Sunday morning and preach to you the Word of God and, and yet then leave this place and it's as if I haven't heard one single word that the life that I desire to live then is the life of my wants instead of what it is that I know to be true in God's Word. I, I think that would describe all of us Many times we hear the word read and proclaimed. We read the word. The Spirit is present accompanying the word as the Bible promises. And yet we are hearing but never hearing. And therefore, if that's describing of us, then we are believing but never really believing. Will we hear the word of the Lord again today? And will we really hear that word today? Leading to a, a belief that is genuine, a trust that is true. Let's give our full attention then to the reading of God's holy infallible word because this is exactly what John tells us right here in John 19 beginning in verse 28. Hear now the word of God. Later, knowing all that was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation and the next day was to be the special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken of the bodies and then taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead... They did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken, and, as another scripture says... They will look on the one they have pierced. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. What do we know about God's word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Our Father, you are giving us a testimony today, a word, a true word, a word from our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the cross, a word from the Apostle John after the cross, a word from the prophets before as a testimony of what would take place on the cross. So we pray, oh, Holy Spirit, that you would accompany your word this morning and you would open our eyes to see, open our eyes to hear, 
open our hearts to believe. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please, friends, be seated. <laughs> Almost 25 years ago in seminary in St. Louis, Missouri, we were in our little on-campus apartment one particular day. Allison was about, my youngest daughter was about two years old then. And she always wanted to go up and play on the playground. The playground was kind of in the center of the on-campus housing, which was really wonderful. My children even still talk about life at seminary those days because all of us were in the same boat. We didn't have two nickels to rub together. We were all eating popcorn and pancakes for breakfast and for dinner. Uh, but this, this playground was right in the center of the, all of the apartments, and so all of the kids would come, and then the parents would sit around, the men would talk about what they're reading, and the women would talk about how they're supporting their husbands, and the kids would play on the playground. One particular day, Jennifer was sitting on the couch, she was doing some work uh, in her lap there in front of her, and Allison turned to her and said, Mom, can I go, can I go to the playground? And Jennifer just responded, well, maybe, maybe in just a moment, Allison, maybe in just a moment, let me finish this. And just a little bit later, Allie said, Mom, can I go to the playground? Maybe, maybe in just a moment, Allison, maybe in just a moment, let me finish this. Mom, can I go to the playground? And it just kept going on and on and on until finally Allison just moved everything out of Jennifer's lap, climbed up in her lap, took her hands like this and put them right up on Jennifer's face. And she just said, can I go to, play, to the playground? Just say yes or no. Don't say maybe, just say yes or no. I'll never forget that story because really what she was saying was this, don't tell me maybe, because if you're telling me maybe, you're really not listening to what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I want to go to the playground, and I'm actually going to be satisfied with a no answer if you just tell me no, I can't go. But if you tell me maybe, that's no answer really at all, and therefore you're not really listening to what I'm saying. So just tell me yes or no, don't say maybe, just tell me yes or no. That describes us, I think, many times when we come to God's Word, does it not? Many times we read God's Word, we read the promises that He gives to us in this beautiful gospel of grace, and we're hearing, but we're not really hearing because we think maybe He's going to do these things for us. Maybe He will lavish us with His grace and mercy instead of listening to the promise, the absolute promise that He gives to us that, yes, He has secured all of these things for us in the person of Jesus Christ. The entirety of the Bible from the very, very beginning in the book of Genesis all the way to the very end, the book of Revelation, is the testimony about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is fully man and fully God, who promised in the Old Covenant to come and do a work for us that we could never do. And then in the opening of the New Testament, the Gospel accounts testifies even from the cross the work that He has done for us. And now throughout the rest of the scriptures, by the apostles, he convinces us that all of these things are true. And yet we hear that over and over again. And yet sometimes it simply is a maybe in our minds instead of clinging, believing, trusting in the fullness of this testimony that's given to us by Christ himself. This is what John captures for us right here on the cross of Calvary. We've been looking the last couple of weeks as we've been moving through our Lenten study of Jesus' the beginning of, his, of the end of his earthly life. 
And here now on the cross, Jesus testifies. He gives us a testimony of what it is that he is securing for us. And then the actions of those individuals give us a testimony of all of the things that the prophets had said before Jesus even came. And then the author of the book, John himself, ends our passage giving us a testimony for us today that we might believe, that we might know that this is true. This testimony from Jesus is true. He has done a work for us and every promise in him is yes and amen. We begin then with verse 28, and this is the beginning by Jesus testifying on the cross, on the cross in which he now hangs. Today is Palm Sunday. In, in redemptive history, the accounts, uh, we, ought, we actually ought to go back a, a, a week, several days, when they entered into Jerusalem. Uh, we started there several weeks ago as we were moving through our Lenten study. So today being Palm Sunday, Sunday was the day that Jesus actually entered into Jerusalem. But in our study, in the progression of our study today, we find him now on the cross. Later knowing all that was going to be completed, that had been completed, and so that the scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus gives us a testimony. Donald Gray Barnhouse, that wonderful uh, former pastor years ago of 10th Presbyterian in uh, Philadelphia, in his commentary gives this beautiful picture of what Jesus is doing here. He gives this whole ornate looking picture of how Jesus has now taken the sins of his people uh, and he is hanging on the cross to die for those sins and he goes back in redemptive history. Sorry, let me go this way because you're looking at this direction. He goes back all the way to the book of Genesis and he begins to look at every prophecy that was foretold about him and he says check, so to speak. All of the events of Genesis, check. All of the events of Exodus, check. All of, the, all of the events of all of the Torah, all of the law, check, and so forth. Barnhouse gives this beautiful picture about how Jesus is doing that. I'm here, and I have fulfilled every single thing that has been told about me. But then he gets to Psalm 69, verse 21, and he realizes that he has not fulfilled that particular prophecy, and so he calls out in a loud voice this testimony, I am thirsty. He asks for a drink, as the psalmist says, the prophecy in Psalm 69, 21, that would come, that would come to be, that would take place. Jesus, now knowing that he had not fulfilled that, cries out in a loud voice, I am thirsty. Now, throughout all of redemptive history under the Old Covenant, thirst is always an illustration, a picture of spiritual dryness. So think about what it is that Jesus is saying in this testimony of I am thirsty. He is saying, much like we read in Luke chapter 16, when the rich ruler, remember, when he says to Lazarus, just, I'm, I'm, I'm in torment, I'm in persecution, I am parched here in hell. Go and take a drop of water and put it on my parched tongue to bring me some kind of a relief. He's giving us this picture of living in torment, living in hell, because that's what his sins deserved. And all he wanted is relief from this dryness, this parchment. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying to you today, dear friend, from the cross, on the cross, I am thirsty. I am taking your dryness. I am taking your parchment in myself, and I am dying for that. I am thirsty. 
after the soldiers had lifted up this wine vinegar on this sponge out of with a, a hyssop plant, Jesus had soaked his lips. Then he gives us the second testimony on the cross. And now he says, it is finished. Back in John chapter 10, verse 18, remember Jesus had already said, nobody takes the life of the Son of Man. The Son of Man lays down his own life for for his children, for his lambs, for his people. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down willingly, actively on my own. I am going to the cross, he was saying back then. I am going to the cross because I have actively obeyed God's command to send me to secure the eternal salvation for all of my children. So nobody takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. But look what he says in verse 30. It is finished, and with that, now Jesus bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. It is finished, three words in English. It's one word in Greek. The Greek word is tetelestai. It simply means nothing else is needed. Everything is completely accomplished. And in Greek, it is written in the active tense, which simply means this, that Jesus didn't have somebody do this for him, that's passive, but Jesus actually did it himself. His testimony on the cross to you today is, he is saying, it is finished. There is nothing else that is needed. There is nothing else to be added to this promise that I give to you. Charles Spurgeon said of this one particular word, it would need all other words that were ever spoken or ever could be spoken to explain this one word. It is altogether immeasurable. It is high, I cannot attain it. It is deep, I cannot fathom it. To tell us die. It is finished. Friends, I know... I've lived life with you for 16, over 16 years now. I know there are times in your spiritual walk, your journey in life, that you are in a very dry, barren place, in a valley of the shadow of death. I have been there as well. When we are there, if this describes you today, dear friend, if you are in a very parched, dry, barren place today, here is the good news of the gospel that you must hear and you must believe. I am thirsty, Jesus said. He took on that parchment for you. He took on that dryness for you. He died for this very thing. And then for those of us here who perhaps are not going through a dry place, maybe we still are, but we're saying to ourselves, we need to add, this gospel sounds so simple, so easy, that Jesus came and did this work for me. Yes, dear friends, that's the promise. And that's the testimony that he gives to you. It is finished. To tell us die, you do not need to add one little thing. One not jot, not tittle. You can't add anything from our corruptiveness. We are corrupt in every part of our being. He is divine in nature, fully God, fully man. He said he has done the work for us. 100%, we cannot improve that. Why would we even attempt to, try to? Here's the gospel that you must hear, the testimony from Jesus himself on the cross. I'm thirsty and it is finished. 
Look how the passage then proceeds, beginning at verse 31 now. We have a testimony that even goes all the way back to the Old Covenant, all the way back before the cross. It's the day John goes out of his way to tell us it is the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath day, and these religious individuals that had put Jesus on the cross, these religious individuals wanted to celebrate the Sabbath, the Passover celebration. They wanted what they wanted. Now certainly they would have known Deuteronomy chapter 21, 20, verse 22 and verse 23, which says when someone hung on a cross, they were not to be left on the cross overnight, but their body was to be taken down from the cross. So they are saying that. They go to the individual that they want to take the, they, they, they want Jesus' body. They go to Pilate. They want Jesus' body taken down off the cross because they know the law. They know the law of the old covenant from Deuteronomy chapter 21 that they can't leave a dead body on the cross. But notice the, the testimony that John gives about them. Here they are quoting this very prophecy long before the cross, but their focus is for themselves. Not the keeping of the law. They knew that the special Sabbath day was coming. And if they were going to celebrate that special Sabbath day, they had to break the legs of these individuals to speed up their death so that they could get what it was that they wanted. They are testifying to Deuteronomy chapter 21, but from the sinful perspective, instead of actually knowing that they are fulfilling what had already been said about Jesus Christ even long before the cross. In the book of Numbers and in Exodus, we read about how sacrificial lambs, the legs were not to be broken of those sacrificial lambs that were offered for the forgiveness of sin. In the opening of the gospel account, this account, we read John the Baptist who says, Behold, the Lamb of God who has taken away the sins of the world. But in Psalm 34, Psalm 34, we read that no bone would be broken in my righteous one. Here they are trying to keep Deuteronomy 21, but they are actually fulfilling Psalm 34 but from a perspective of their own sinfulness instead of hearing and believing what God had said from redemptive history. So none of his bones were broken in the fulfillment of Psalm 34. So they go to Pilate and they say, we want these guys taken down off the cross. They go and then we get to the second testimony. They don't break his bones because they get to the first guy and they see that he's alive and they break his bones. They get to the second guy, they see that he's alive, they break his bones. But they get to Jesus and they see that he is not alive. And so one of the soldiers takes a spear and pierces his side and from the side comes water and blood. Now, there's a lot of ink spilled over what this means about water and blood. You'll read all kinds of things. Well, it's a picture of water baptism and the blood of Christ in the, in, the, in the chalice at the Lord's table. Or it is the connection of the first Adam to the second Adam. The first Adam had a, a piercing of the side for the taking away of the rib to bring forth woman. And now we have the second Adam, a piercing of the side for he's done that for, for the woman, for the bride, his church, and so forth. Friends, Let's, let's don't try to add anything to the mystery. Let's just simply understand this. What is John saying? 
What is he trying to get your attention to understand, to hear? Jesus actually died on the cross of Calvary. Our liberal friends are wrong. He wasn't simply in a coma. He wasn't just asleep for a while and then woke up. Do you not understand what it is that John is saying? They go and they look at this one guy and they see this guy is not dead. Boom! They break his legs. They look at this guy. He's not dead. Boom! They break his legs. They look at this guy and they say, he's dead. That's all John is saying to us. That Christ actually died on the cross. The one who was fully God and fully man. They pierced his side. They didn't break his bones. In keeping with the testimony about him, but also from Zechariah chapter 12, we read that today as well. The children of Israel will mourn over the piercing of the righteous one. That prophecy is now fulfilled. They pierced his side because he was actually dead. It would take, friends, listen, please, here is the promise that God gives to you even long before the cross of Calvary. It would take a perfect sacrifice to satisfy your sinfulness. And that sacrifice, perfect, was found in none other than Jesus Christ. The penalty for your sin would take dying for that sin and you couldn't do it, I can't do it, but only the perfect sacrifice, one who had no broken bones, only he could do it for you. Exodus 34, he in no way will let the guilty go unpunished. He must punish sin or he would not be God. He would not be perfect. And so he punished that sin by taking it from you, laying it on his son, our Savior, who actually died for that sin. The promise there, therefore, here's what you need to hear and understand the prophecy before the cross is that God made your salvation actual in the finished work of Christ on the cross. He didn't simply make it possible that you could pray some magic prayer and call down the riches of heaven, but he made it actual for you from the foundation of the world that he declared that his son would come and in this day, this particular day, would bear your sins in his body and actually die for that sin. You have been set free. That's the testimony that God gives to us today, long before the cross, in addition to the words from the Savior on the cross. And this is why verse 35 now, John says, the man who saw it has given testimony. Who's he talking about? We'll go all the way back to verse 25. Near the cross stood Jesus and four women... Remember last week, these four women in counterpart to the four soldiers that were, that were uh, uh, rolling the dice for his garments, that were trying to get, trying to get the, the, the last bit of that garment that they didn't want to rip into pieces. We have four women <clears throat> opposed to four soldiers, but in addition to those four women near the cross, we have the disciple whom Jesus loved. And this is John referring to himself, John the Apostle the author of this particular book. Here's how he referred to himself, the disciple that Jesus loved. 
And now verse 35, the man is himself. The man who saw this, John is at the cross. You ever asked yourself this question, where are the other apostles? Where are the other apostles? Only John is at the cross. Hmm. You don't know say. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, they're in the upper room, uh, uh, apparently still hiding. Only John is there. In there, verse 35, he says, I was there, I saw it, I have given testimony, and I am telling you that this testimony is objective truth. John is not saying, he is stressing the account here, this is not a subjective feeling. Well, it warms my heart to add to the story that Jesus died uh, on the cross for our sin. No, no, no. This is not subjective emotional rhetoric here. This is actual objective truth. John is saying, I was there, I saw it, he died. The realness of Jesus' death on the cross is the realness of our life eternal today. That's what John is saying. Because he really, actually died. Your sins have been satisfied, and now you really, actually will live with him forever and ever. He believed that. He saw that. And he believed that, and then says, now I am testifying to you, so that you too they believe. Here is the testimony after the cross from the apostle for you and for me today. For those of us who are walking through a spiritually dry place, those of us trying to add to this gospel, those that think, that think perhaps that it's too simple and something else must be done, here is the testimony from one who was right there, who saw it firsthand. He says, I'm writing these things. I'm testifying to these things. For you, the saints of Redeemer Presbyterian Church, 2,000 years later, that you too may hear, and hearing you may believe. 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. It is common for us to be just like these individuals and be ever hearing, but never hearing. To say that we believe, but don't really believe. But here is the promise of Scripture. This is the very reason why Christ came and why Christ died on the cross for you. Actually, the realness of his death is the realness of the gospel life. Do you believe that? Do you hear that? Every time you open the scriptures and the, the spirit testifies to that, is he sealing it to your mind that this gospel is true? A testimony before the cross, on the cross, and now even long after the cross. We are a telephone-aged people, aren't we? A cell phone-aged people. My goodness, how did we get by without these things before? <clears throat> we say that it actually uh, streamlines our life and allows us to accomplish more, but I'm not so certain about that. You ever sat and talked to somebody and they're just sitting there like that? And I will uh, be talking with Jennifer. Uh, you know, there's something about that beep, though. For me, personally, uh, there's something about that beep, that beep that tells me I've got a text or an email. It's just like, squirrel. You know, I just, I got to get over to it. I got to see who it is. Somebody wants something from me. I haven't done the next guy any favor, I promise, because, oh, I got to figure this out. So Jennifer will be saying, she'll be talking to me. Hey, Bryant, I, I want to talk about blah, 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 blah. I'm like, oh, yeah, uh-huh, and she'll just stop. And I'm just... 
Look up, because she said, I'm not going to say another word until you put that down, because I know you're not listening to me. I need you to look in my eyes, because I know you're not listening to me. Well, don't tell her I said this, but she she doesn't know that I can actually multitask. I can do two things (laughs) at one time. But I, I am guilty of that, and I know you are as well, that we're sitting here giving our attention to this, and someone's just talking, wah, 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 and we're, we're hearing, but we're not hearing. Friends, don't do that with the Scriptures. Don't do that with your Savior. He died for you. He really, really died for you. And now He really, really, really gives to you by, by this Word, through the work of His Holy Spirit, He gives you absolute certainty that your sins have been paid for. To tell us, die, it is finished. And this barren, dry life of sin that we live is gone. And we're living in the fullness of this gospel of grace now and forevermore. That is the gospel. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father in heaven, what a joy it is to know before, on, and after the cross that you are giving us a testimony that this is the work that you would do for us. We praise you for that, Father. Thank you that you sent your only begotten Son, and that Son took our sin in his body really, and he died for that sin actually, and he now gives to us his spirit really, and we live in the fullness of this gospel actually. Seal that to our hearts and our minds, especially in those times, Father, when we, when we hear and yet we're not listening. And when we say we believe, but we're not living in truth. Cause us to do that by that same Spirit who gives us the ability to see these beautiful things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.